Uh, if you've got your Bible, you can make your way to Genesis chapter 18. Uh, if you're new, we've just been walking straight through the book of Genesis. This morning we're in Genesis 18, the first 15 verses. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give one to you this morning. We've got some uh, blue hardback ones over there on that table. You can go grab that and keep it. It's our gift to you as a church. We really love the Bible here, and we really want you to be able to engage with it uh, and know God and study and learn more about God through uh, his word. And so that'd be a great way for you to do that. Let me read this passage for us together. Genesis 18, the first 15 verses, the very word of God to us today speaks to us like this. It says, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O oh Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, Three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time next year, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Uh, two big things uh, I want us to see in this passage this morning. First, friendship with God, uh, and then second, the power of God. Friendship with God and, and the power of God. So last chapter, chapter 17, God appeared to Abraham, and he kind of ratified and solidified his covenant with them. And the mark of that ratification of the covenant, the way they kind of uh, signed their terms in writing on the contract was through circumcision. Uh, so Abraham and all the men in his household had to be circumcised. And so here in 18, the Lord appears to Abraham again, and uh, much better this time around, right? Like no, no dull flint knives this time around. And so Abraham's got to be happy about that. Uh, it seems like Abraham's kind of taken a nap outside of his tent in the hottest part of the day, and uh, he kind of wakes up and sees there are these three men kind of standing off in the distance in front of him. And so he wakes up, he runs out to meet them, and he asks if they will stay with him for a little while so that he can show them some hospitality. And look, the hospitality that he shows them, them here is wild. I mean, it's lavish. It's like over the top. He says, hey, stay a little bit. Refresh yourselves. Let me get you some water so you can wash your feet. Here's a place for you to sit down and rest from the journey. And then he goes to get some food prepared for them. And 
Look, I get this. I sympathize with Abraham. Like, you can't just go get a pizza at this point in time, and I'm not a great cook either. Uh, and so he does what, honestly, I would do in this situation. And he's like, Sarah, quick, uh, we've got company. I don't know what to do. Please make some food for them. Please make us some bread. So he asked her to make this bread. And look, three seahs of fine flour is a massive amount of food. And so he has her make that. And then he goes and gets a calf from the flock. He has a servant hop on the grill and whip them up some steaks. Uh, and then he gets some milk and cheese curds, which uh, I just personally appreciate. Right, like, like, that's a nice touch from Father Abraham. Cheese curds are a nice touch. And so after he gets this kind of five-star, over-the-top meal served for these guests, uh, I love what verse 8 says, because it basically says he just kind of stands there beside them while they eat like an awkward waiter asking you for the 15th time if you like the food. Right, I, I just kind of imagine they're like, no, Abraham, really, I, I promise, it's good. Like, it, it's the best meal we've ever had. I promise you we're going to be back next week. Uh, we really, really like it. And so, super kind of weird scene here, right? Like, but, but what's going on in this? Well, what we clearly find out later on in the passage is that one of these men is clearly the Lord. So, God has come to hang out with Abraham and spend time with him and eat a meal with him and reiterate his promise to him because Abraham is his friend. Uh, Abraham is his friend. We'll see this even more clearly in the back half of Genesis 18 next week as God uh, tells Abraham what he's about to do with Sodom and invites him to pray for them and intercede for them and have a conversation with God about this. What we're seeing here is Abraham's friendship with God. Abraham is the only person in the entire Old Testament to be called a friend of God. Uh, it says that Moses would speak to God face to face like a man speaks to his friend, but Abraham is the only person that's explicitly called God's friend. Listen to Isaiah 41, verse 8. It says, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. And, and so what I think God is doing here is God is really giving us a sneak peek into the heart of of the gospel, into the heart of what salvation is all about. You see, God does not just save us and bring us back to himself so that he could have more employees or more servants, but so that we could be his friends. I mean, the covenant that God just made with Abraham in chapter 17, it's all about relationship. It's all about fellowship. It's all about friendship. The great repeated note of the Bible, when it talks about the covenant that God enters into with his people, it says that God is entering into this covenant so that he would be our God and we would be his people. We would be his friends. This is just a repeated refrain in the Bible. Let me show you this in a few places. Psalm 25, verse 14, one of my favorite verses and chapters in the Bible. It says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. So the friendship of the Lord, like friendship with God, is available to anyone who will trust him and revere him. And God makes known to them his covenant, his promises, his character, his faithfulness. He makes himself known to them. Jesus picks up on this in John chapter 15 in the upper room. And listen to what he says. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
And then one more, Revelation 3, Jesus is rebuking the church at Laodicea for their apathy and lukewarmness and coldness towards him. Uh, And at the end of that rebuke, he says this. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This friendship, this relationship will be renewed and restored if they'll simply turn around and repent. And so listen, I know it sounds so simple and so cliche, but it's just true. God wants a relationship with you, friendship with you. And so don't settle for anything less. Like what a waste of your life it would be to spend decade after decade going to church and doing religious things and trying to be a moral person and yet never actually experiencing and cultivating deep friendship with God. Jesus did not die just to get more employees for himself. He died for friends. Salvation is not just about us getting our sins forgiven or getting to go to heaven. It's about becoming friends with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. This is what Jesus is offering to us. This is what he has opened up for us through his life, death, and resurrection. He's welcoming us to himself. He's calling us his friends. He's done this to make us his friends. And so how do we do this? How do we cultivate and deepen our friendship with God? Well, what do you do with all of your friends? You, you talk to them, right? You get to know them, who they are, and, and you let them know who you are, right? We do the same thing with God. We let, hear him talk to us in his word, and then we talk back to him in prayer. Because his word is where he has made his covenant, his character, his promises, his grace, his faithfulness. It's where he's made himself known to us. I mean, look, this is just ground zero for following Jesus. Uh, Study after study after study keeps coming out that shows us that the number one greatest catalyst uh, to grow and deepen in your relationship with God is simply you reading or listening to the Bible, intaking the Bible, getting more of God's Word. And how could it not be if this is where God has revealed himself? If this is where he's talked to us, if this is where he's made himself known to us. Listen, the people I know that walk with God most deeply and trust him most intimately are people who to a person, when you cut them, they bleed Bible. Like they've just immersed their lives in it. They've just saturated their lives with the word of God because that's where he's revealed himself to us. And they're men and women of deep lives of prayer who just talk to God about anything and everything that's going on in their lives. They are experiencing friendship with God where they know him and he knows them. And and listen, I understand, like, the Bible is not the easiest book to just jump into and read. I understand that reading the Bible and growing in this is difficult, which is why we really want to help equip you with all of these, in all of these things, that you might be able to do this. Like, this is why we're having another equipping event on prayer a month from now. It's why we have an equipping event on the Bible every year. It's why we have men's and women's Bible studies where you can get together and, and read and discuss the Word of God together. It's why we want you to take a few people in your community community group and form a discipleship group where you just read and talk about the Bible together and pray for one another and pray with one another. It's why we preach through books of the Bible on Sunday. Like one of the big things we're doing here in this moment is we're trying to teach you how to read your Bible because we want you to be able to understand and know God's Word and engage with God deeply through His Word. And so look, I would just encourage you, if you don't know where to start, 
then just jump in in one of these areas. I know so many men and women in this church who would love to walk alongside of you in this, love to read the Bible and pray with you, would love to teach you how to read the Bible and pray so that you might know God intimately and walk with him deeply as a friend. And listen, if you don't know how to pray, treat your relationship with God like a friendship. What do you do with your friends? You, you talk to them. You let them in on what's going on with your life. You let them know what you're happy about, what you're excited about, what you're angry about, what you're fearful about, what you're hopeful for. You just let them in and you talk about all of these things. And we should do the same thing with God. If you're happy, tell Him about it and thank Him for it. If you're angry, talk to Him about it. Bring that to Him in prayer and process that with Him in prayer. If you're confused and upset and you don't understand what's going on and why He's causing you to walk through that, bring this to Him in prayer. Like, don't let the devil lie to you and tell you that you don't know how to pray. You do. If you know how to talk to someone, you know how to pray because prayer is simply talking to God. And he's opened this up for us. He's inviting us into this. There's something else I want us to notice in this first part of the passage, and that's God's imminence, his nearness. So what we've seen a ton of in these first few chapters of Genesis is God's transcendence, how he's bigger than us. He's different from us. He's not like us. He's the creator. We are creation. We've seen God, just through his power, speak the entire universe into existence. We've seen him rule and govern over everything just by the power of his word. We've seen that he is more than powerful enough to both call and make this promise to Abraham and to bring it about. And so we've seen so much of God's bigness and transcendence, but, but this passage, this scene seems a little bit different, doesn't it? Like God appearing to Abraham as a man, needing to rest from the journey, needing to have his feet washed, eating a meal with Abraham, having to eat. What, what is God doing in all of this? I think what God is doing is he's preparing us for the incarnation, for the day that Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, would step into human history and take on our humanity. God is appearing here to Abraham as a man to show us that one day he wouldn't just appear as a man, but he actually would become one. I mean, think of it like a movie trailer. A movie trailer is not going to give you the full thing. Right? It's not always going to be incredibly clear. It's not going to be the full picture. But you know that, that it is a true picture and that there's more coming along the way. Right? God is doing, what he's doing here is he's giving us snapshots and snippets of what he's going to do for us in Jesus. Because here's the reality. Adam, a human being, brought sin and death into this world and plunged our world into brokenness and darkness and destruction. And God's promise in Genesis 3 is that the seed of the woman, someone who was born of a woman, born as a human being, would be the one to come and save us. And it had to be a human being. It had to be a human being to come and save us because Adam, a human being, is the one who brought sin into the world, and we as human beings are those who need to be saved. But it couldn't just be merely a human being because how could one person's death pay for the sin of the world and undo this curse that has been in place on the world, even if that person was a sinless human being. They couldn't. It wouldn't be enough. Our only hope is if God, while still remaining God, would take on our humanity and become a man to come and save us. And this is the hope that we have in Jesus. Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. 
It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is appearing to Abraham here as a man to point us to the day when one day he actually would become a man to come and save us and reconcile us and restore us back to himself to make us once again his friends. It's incredibly good news. And it points us to the next thing we see about God in this passage, the power of God. So last chapter, God appeared to Abraham, and as he appeared to Abraham and entered into this covenant, he made the promise that that about this time next year, about a year from now, they would be having a son, and they should name that son Isaac. And uh, it seems like marital communication was just as great back then uh, as it is nowadays, Uh, Because it seems like Abraham just kind of, it slipped his mind to tell Sarah about this. You know, like he's just kind of like, yeah, I I really thought I told you. I I don't know how I forgot. But yeah, God appeared to me uh, and said, next year, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to be having a son. I I really thought I told you that. Did I not tell you that? And, And so God asks where Sarah is so that he can give this promise to her as well. And when Abraham tells her, he reiterates the promise again that next year Sarah herself will be having a son. And when Sarah, she's eavesdropping in the tent, and when she hears this, she knows it's a ridiculous promise. And so she kind of laughs to herself, and she thinks, yeah, right. Like, that's not going to happen. God's kind of let that ship sail. That has passed. The opportunity for that is dead and gone. We've been waiting for God to fulfill this promise that he spoke for over 20 years now, and now he says next year he's going to bring me a son? Like, that just can't happen. It's been too long. I'm too far gone. It's not going to happen. And so she laughs at this, and she doesn't believe and, and sympathize with her. I mean, think about this. Moses just stacks up for us here all the reasons why it is a human impossibility for this promise to come to pass. Verse 11 says they're old, advanced in years. Do you know what that means? It's a super complex meaning. It means they're super old. And listen, super old people do not have babies. Abraham is 99, and she is 89. 89! That does not happen. And she says she's worn out. Think of like clothes that are ratty and have holes in them and need to be thrown away. She's saying, I've outlived my purpose for this. It's just not going to happen. And then not just that, it says the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She has been through menopause, which makes this an absolute biological impossibility. This is not just like, oh, it's going to be pretty difficult, but I think if we can get the right fertility treatments, like we might, I think we have a good chance about this. Like, no. It's an impossibility. This does not happen. This cannot happen. And so Sarah hears this, and she laughs at this, and Abraham, uh, and God asks Abraham why she's laughing and why she doesn't believe, and listen again to what God says in verse 14. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, at the point of time next year, 
Uh, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, real quickly, I want to just deal with one of the ways that this verse has been used in a really poor way, uh, which is to teach the idea that if you have enough faith in God and you just believe hard enough, that God will give you whatever you want and whatever you ask for. He's kind of obligated to do that in this sort of prosperity theology because nothing is too hard for the Lord. And listen, I think most of us would rightly reject that as unbiblical and wrong thinking, uh, but I think that all of us on the other side kind of struggle with the temptation to believe that if we do have enough faith and if we generally are obedient enough to God, that things in our life are generally going to go well for us, that we should live a pretty comfortable, pain-free, easy life, and that God is generally going to bless us and show worldly sorts of favor to us. But I want to give you two reasons why that's not what this verse is teaching and and why that just isn't true. Uh, I'm borrowing these from Tim Keller. I thought they were just too helpful not to share, but two reasons why that's not what this verse is teaching. One, Jesus, in his humanity, in his life on earth, had more faith in God than anyone, and yet he suffered more than anyone in all of human history, in the history of the entire human race. He had more than enough faith in God, and yet look at how his life went. He was poor and homeless. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He was arrested on a jo- and condemned on a joke trial when he was completely innocent. He was executed, brutally executed, on a Roman cross when he had no sin of his own to pay for. He did not deserve to die. Like, things did not generally go well for him in a worldly sense. And then the second reason that, that this isn't what this verse is teaching, Sarah doesn't even believe. Like, it's not a question of, does she have enough faith in God's promise to kind of activate God and get him to do this for her, or some garbage like that. She has no faith in the promise, and yet God still brings this promise to pass because he is an incredibly gracious God. And so that isn't what this verse is teaching. But on the other hand, I think this verse is teaching us something incredible about the power and grace and faithfulness of God to keep his promises. I love the way that God kind of messes with Sarah at the end of the passage when she says, no, I didn't laugh. And he's like, yeah, you kind of did laugh. And uh, verse 14, when he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? It's almost as if God is just stacking things up on the scale as to why this is an impossibility and why this can't happen. And it's almost as if he's like, yeah, okay, they're older than the dirt. Put it on the scale. Uh, she's worn out. She's outlived her usefulness for this. Put it on the scale. She's so old that she's about to have to start wearing diapers herself. Put it on the scale. Like, she has been through menopause. It's an absolute impossibility. Put it on the scale. Like, no matter what you put on the scale, no matter how much weight you stack up and reasons you can give as to why this is going to be too difficult and why it's going to be an impossibility— God is going to overcome all of those reasons and bring this promise to pass without even breaking a sweat. It's like Michael Jordan playing one-on-one in basketball against a five-year-old. Like, it's just not going to wear him out. He's not going to have to work that hard. And so this is giving us a beautiful picture of the power and the grace of God to keep his promises and to be faithful to what he said he's going to do. And just to ruin the story for you, he does keep his promise. Chapter 21, about a year from this time, Sarah is giving birth to a son that they name Isaac. It's not too hard for God to give Abraham and Sarah a a baby, even in their old age, because nothing is too hard 
for the Lord. But the story doesn't stop there. It doesn't end on Abraham and Isaac and Sarah. I think it actually points us forward to the next time this language is picked up in the Bible, Luke chapter 1. Listen to these words. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? No, because nothing is impossible with God. God is preparing us here in Genesis 18 for the day when he just wouldn't, wouldn't just bring a son through a barren woman, but he himself would come as the son and be born to a virgin who has never even known a man because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. Like what could be more difficult than God coming into the world, taking on our humanity and being born of a virgin, yet he did it with ease because nothing is too hard for the Lord. This is always pointing us to Jesus, preparing us for Jesus, the true promised son of Abraham who would come and wouldn't just be born as a man for us, but would then live the perfect life for us that we have not lived in our place. Then he would die the death for our sin in our place that we deserve to die for us. And then three days later, he would get up from the grave for us to defeat death, sin, and hell forever to show us that nothing is too hard for the Lord. God has made good on his promise that he made all the way back here in Genesis 18, and that should fill us with deep confidence in the power of God to keep his promises and do what he says he will do for us. Look, it's not too hard for him to fully forgive your sins so that you might walk in real freedom. It's not too hard for him to give you his righteousness so that you wouldn't face any condemnation and wouldn't have to live with guilt and shame any longer. It's not too hard for him to set you free from a sin you've been struggling with for years. Listen, if he can give life to a dead womb, if he can be, take on humanity and be born of a virgin, then I promise you he's more than capable enough to give life to your dead heart. He's more than capable to renew and restore and bring life and heal and grow and change things in us. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And so I think this is incredible news, and I think there's two different ways that, that God's calling us to respond to this incredible news. And I think the first way is that we should ask big things of God. Now, once again, this is not kind of prosperity gospel where if we just have enough faith and if we just use the right words, God will do for us what we want him to do for us. But I think 
what so many of us do is we swing the pendulum to the other side and we don't ever actually ask God for anything that we couldn't do ourselves, anything bigger than something we could do ourselves, because we don't want to walk through the disappointment and we want to shield ourselves from the disappointment of, of God not answering in the way that we want Him to. And so we'll caveat, we'll nuance, we'll play down, and, and we'll find all these ways to downplay and shrink the power of God and not actually ever ask Him for anything big. But, but here's the reality. God is our Father, and He's an incredibly good Father. He loves to give His children good things, and He does not withhold good things from us. He does not withhold things from us to spite us. And so listen, you can ask Him. Ask Him for big things without any caveats. Parents, do your kids do this for you? Do they come up to you and say, Oh, most gracious Father, uh, we would love to have ice cream tonight and watch a movie, but only if it's in accord with your good and gracious will, most holy Father. Do they do that? No. Uh, no, I don't have kids, but I can tell you, no, they don't do that. Uh, so, man, be you in prayer. Ask God for big things without caveats, without putting nuance on it. Just ask Him. He's your Father. I've been praying all week for uh, someone I know who's been in the hospital with COVID. And you know what I have not been praying? I have not been praying, God, if you'd really like to, if it's really your will, would you please heal him? No, I've been praying, God, please heal him. Please give the doctors wisdom to know what best to do. Please get him out of the hospital. Please do whatever needs to happen for this to come about because I didn't want him to die. Listen, we, we do this. We ask God for big things and then we hold it with an open hand. If God doesn't answer in the way that we want him to answer, it's either because he's trying to form character in us while we wait for that, or it wouldn't be good for us to have right now, or he's just got bigger purposes that we not, might not be able to see because he's God and we're not. But, but even when we don't understand why he's doing something or why he's not answering a prayer in, in the way that we'd like him to or why he feels so distant and closed off, what we absolutely can know is that he is for us and that he does love us and that he will not quit on us and that he's working out all things in our lives for good. He has proven it at the cross, as difficult as that is to believe when you're in the dark and when things are difficult. And so I just want to encourage you, keep asking for big things and don't give up. Like, keep praying that God would heal. Keep praying that God would move in people's hearts. Pre keep praying that God would save your lost friends and family members and neighbors. Keep praying that God would restore and reconcile relationships and bring justice and forgive sin and set people free from sin and set you free from sin because nothing is too hard for the Lord. If he doesn't answer in the way we want him to, then we can trust that he's good and he has good purposes in mind even when we can't see it. But we should ask, we should plead with him to do big things because nothing's too hard for him. And then the second way I think this calls us to respond is that what God is trying to do through the lives of Abraham and Sarah is to form this sort of deep confidence and trust in him, in us. Like Abraham and Sarah, their lives and all of their ups and downs are meant to serve as an example to us of what it looks like to walk by faith and how we walk with God by faith. And the way we do that is we continually meditate on and we remind ourselves of his character and his goodness towards us and his promises towards us. And this story gives us an incredible picture of God's power and faithfulness to keep his promises. 
And, and so what should, we should do is continually gospel ourselves with the promises of God, with the character of God, remind ourselves of who God is and his faithfulness towards us and how he's going to do what he promised to do. Look, that's really what we're doing here every Sunday when we gather. We gather to pray the truths of the word together and to sing the truths of the gospel together and to hear the truths of the gospel preached and to come and taste and see the truths of the gospel at the table and to confess and, and, and believe the truths of the gospel through the creeds and through the Lord's prayer. Like we are continually coming to remind ourselves of who our God is and how he loves us and how faithful he is towards us. And so Man, every day we should be doing this. We should be preaching the good news to ourselves. We should be reminding ourselves and recentering ourselves on the character and promises of God towards us and His faithfulness towards us. Because this is how we fight sin. As we, uh, we fight the promises of sin with the better promises of God. And as we remind ourselves and get our eyes on and recenter our hearts on who our God is and what He's done for us and what He's promised to do for us, Jesus stirs up a deeper faith and trust in him in us. And this is the good news. The story is pointing us to the good news that God keeps his promises. God himself has come down as a man in human history to die for us and save us and bring us back to himself and make us his friends because nothing is too hard for the Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this good news. That all we've ever done is turn from you and rebel and, and said, we know better and we know where life is found and we know how to do this. All we've ever done is rebel and yet you have been faithful to pursue. Jesus, you have come after us you did not leave us to ourselves and to our own devices, yet you came down as a man to live in our place and die in our place and rise in our place so that we could rise with you. And so Jesus, would you give us confidence to believe the truth of your word, that nothing is too hard for you, that nothing is beyond your power, nothing is beyond your reach, nothing can, can get the upper hand on you, nothing is impossible with you, because you are God, you are powerful, and you are good. And so Jesus, press that truth into our hearts even now as we come to your table to respond, as we sing. Light up our hearts fresh with this reality that nothing is too hard for you and that you've proven it in your incarnation and in your death and resurrection. In your name, amen.